Hello, welcome to uh, another edition of uh, From the Rookery End. Uh, it's, it's a Sunday morning and yesterday Watford won. Something we were getting used to and, and missed for a while. Wolverhampton Wanderers nil, Watford 2. Uh, my name's John, uh, with me is Mike. You do just bounce out of bed, don't you, when Watford have won the day before. It's, <laughs> we're all grown men and we shouldn't, we shouldn't be this excited. But the, the joy of a Watford win is amazing, isn't it? Good morning. Hello. Uh, and uh, Colin. Hello, Colin. I have to say, I didn't do a lot of bouncing out of bed this morning after the day uh, <laughs> up at Wolverhampton, feeling a little bit, um, what's, the, what's the words politicians use? Tired and emotional. Um, <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good win. Was, I actually felt quite confident on the way up, So, uh, uh, I, whereas I wasn't feeling confident before the, the previous game, which I don't want to talk about ever again. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a fantastic day. Good morning, everybody. That's the annoying thing. Our last win was, you know, such a long time ago. You know, two weeks ago. But you weren't worried that that hadn't been settling on your mind, Colin, going up there yesterday. Funnily enough, I think in our fourth season in the Premier League, you a team like Watford still occasionally are going to get thumped by somebody. And I think what happened against uh, Bournemouth was that we were a little bit complacent in our in our in our approach. You know, we didn't really defend as a team. I think they, we played the same lineup, another four four two. I think they'd worked that out. They got in behind us. We couldn't really handle them. And I think it was because we played really well against Arsenal and, and everyone said, oh, Watford played really well, but unlucky. Played really well against United. Could have got something from that game. And I think there was a little bit of complacency. But two weeks of reflection, uh, I thought, with seasoned Premier League players, which is what they kind of are now, in, the, in, you know, in most of those players like Decore and Capu and uh, players like Pereira, after two weeks of reflection on a, on a, on a performance uh, like the one against Bournemouth, I did feel that they would come back really strongly. And that Wolves, uh, playing the same, you know, if a team plays the same lineup nine games in a row, you've got nine games to watch, eight games to watch to work out how you can beat them. That's exactly what Javi did. And it, it, was, it was an excellent performance. And we really dominated in different ways uh, in the first half to the second half. But we dominated the game really throughout. This may surprise you, John, but I was actually I was agree with Colin. I was actually quite quite confident as well because a lot of the, the talk in the in the media preview, certainly on on Sky Sports before the game, was that Watford are up against it here because they've got suspensions and injuries. They've changed the this whole whole wholesale changes to the squad, and I, I was thinking actually, you look at the that's true. It, it is a it is a it is a very different looking side that that took to the field yesterday. But if you look at the guys that had come in, you know Messina, we saw uh, in action a couple of times, and he's already already proved that he's he's a decent player. Isaac's success coming in up top. And of course, people sort of just mentioned, yeah, Delafeu comes in for his first start of the season. And this is a guy who is he's, he's top, top class. So, yes, our squad's being utilised and yes, we're making big changes, but they're all really, really good players that are coming in. So I thought, actually, this is a really good opportunity for us to, to spring a bit of a surprise on, on Wolves. They might have had their momentum stopped by the international break a little bit. But the only thing holding me back was this, I, th- I felt this was an incredibly important, it's a real acid test for, for this Watford squad and our, and our season because what we've seen previously is we've known that we've had a deep squad before. I, ha- I actually think this is probably the best squad we've had since we've been up by, by quite some margin. But when the wheels have fallen off, the wheels really have fallen off, and those squad players or the or the players who have been in the team haven't really been able to to turn things around and turn that any slump or or a, a dip in form around. And on one hand, one bad one bad performance in ten isn't really a slump, but we haven't got any points on the board for a, for a couple of weeks, and we hadn't won for a, for a couple of weeks. So this was a real test, going to a real 
difficult place to go. Wolves don't concede at home. They don't lose at home. The atmosphere is is febrile, uh, as anyone who's been to to Molyneux will attest. So this was a real, real tricky, tricky test. And the beautiful thing about it for me is that they just came through with flying colours, didn't they? The squad players stepped up um, and carried out the plan to an absolute T. Brilliant and really encouraging, really reassuring, but really exciting for the rest of the season. Well, you, 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 you slightly contradict yourself there, Michael, because when Watford 2 <laughs> nil up uh, on our WhatsApp group, you said 3-2 <laughs> incoming. And I thought, thank goodness for that. We've had two weeks here in this podcast where you've been a little bit too positive, a little bit too, you know, maybe getting a bit more, more cool and calm in your older age. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he, you, know you, you were, he was there. Halfway through that game yesterday, you, you were there. You were, you were, you were worried about a, a comeback. <laughs> Um, and uh, it didn't happen, so haha. I thought the thing that really made the difference was that partly the changes were forced. Obviously, no Holobas, no Cavaselli, but that's fine. But I suspect we took Wolves by surprise with the lineup. I think they'd been preparing for Deeney and Gray uh, because that's what we've been playing week after week. And he made a big call to drop both of them yeah. and bring success in and play an extra midfielder. I mean, if you've got Delafoe, Hughes, and Pereira, you're going to want to play them, right? If you can. And in order to do that, you had to drop a strike. And I don't think Wolves were expecting that. And we really did overrun them in midfield. They couldn't get the ball. The whole of the first half, we controlled the football pretty much for the whole 45 minutes. First 10 minutes were a bit drab. But then once we got into our into the system and the swing of it, once De La Feo started linking up with Pereira, with Hughes as a pivot, uh, Decore and Capu sitting in, in central midfield, just winning the ball back whenever they needed to and keeping it in tight areas and getting it out to the fullbacks. Wolves looked just bewildered by what was going on. They simply didn't know how to get the ball off us. And they were running left, right and centre. And they were you could see by, by half time they were, they were getting tired. And you thought, well, that's a good thing. That's money in the bank for Watford. Because, yes, they're going to come out in the second half and try and fight back. But they've already put a lot in their legs in those 45 minutes just trying to get the ball off us at home. So we, we dominated possession. It was extraordinary. Were we tackling as a fall? Or were there phases where there was, you know, success quite up front on his own he didn't feel isolated he never seemed to be up front on his own you assumed of course that Delafeo would go straight out back onto the right wing which is what he's used to doing but he didn't play there in fact nobody really played out there Um, Hughes occasionally went out wide when it was necessary but it was very much a choice rather than you'd been told to play there Delafeo played behind success basically Pereira stuck to his left wing berth which he loves. Um, but Hughes and Delafeo seem to have a kind of a free role. But success never looked isolated. And that was really the key to the, to the success. And I do think that of the three strikers that we've currently got, the only one that can play up front on his own is Isaac because he keeps the ball so well. And he's so strong. And he's not the greatest footballer that's ever lived. He's certainly not the greatest finisher. And maybe that he'll, that, that'll be a department that he'll improve on. But what he is very, very good at is getting the ball down on his chest, keeping it, releasing it to, to more creative players. And he did it time and time again. And, you know, it reminded me of um, a stat that people uh, use. And they use it to sort of bash uh, Olivier Giroud. Olivier Giroud is the first ever centre-forward to win the World Cup without scoring a goal. <laughs> Deschamps used him in the way that Isaac was used yesterday. You get it to Giroud, he'll bring it down, he'll pass it off to Pogba, Mbappe, Griezmann. They'll do the damage, but, you, but he's your battering ram. And it worked brilliant for us, and they couldn't handle him physically. They, could, they booted him a couple of times. Yeah. Um, the number five really should have got booked very early in the game because he, he, he had a very high foot and sort of kicked him up in the air. 
Um, but the referee was keeping his cards in his pocket in the first half, which I do think is a, probably a good idea because otherwise you do put yourself in a position to start sending players off, which you don't want to do. But he he was he was excellent, and I can't see why what what reason there would be not to let that formation play together again. The really exciting thing, and I have to say, this was the thing that got got me off my seat, was the pure delight of uh, for Delafeo and Pereira to play together. They were like, oh mate, I've been waiting to do this for so long. You have it. No, you have it. No, you have it. Give it to Husey. I'll go around there. Give it back to me. No, over here. Pass it back here. And it was at times it was dazzling. I would say, and I, I, I do. I'm prone to the odd exaggeration, John. I would say that's the best 45 minutes of football we've played in the Premier League in the last three and a bit of seasons because we've had great games. You know, we beat Chelsea at home. That was a kind of glorious evening. We 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 managed to pressure Arsenal into a defeat at our place last year. We won at the Emirates in the Cup. We've had you know we've had some great great. Uh, we beat Liverpool three 0 That was an amazing game. But in terms of pure Premier League style football, the quality of the football, the control of the game, the control of the tempo. I thought the first 45 minutes yesterday was the best I've seen. I think that's borne, borne out a little bit, Colin, but and it, uh, Twitter isn't necessarily the best place to gauge gauge anything. But I did have a quick look at the uh, the Wolves' um, timeline, their, their hashtag last night, and virtually to a man and woman, they were all saying the same as you. They're saying absolutely fair play to Watford. They came and did an absolute job on us. We couldn't get the ball. We couldn't work out what was going on in midfield. Um, and I think that's real testament to just how complete that performance was. If you've got the usually um, nutty arena of Twitter sort of agreeing that Watford deserved the win, then I, th- I think that says a lot. Um, I just want to touch back on something you said right at the start there about the striking options and, and Deeney being dropped. Uh, I think the, the Sky were reporting that he, he, was, he didn't travel because he had a tight hamstring, um, but already Watford have said he's in contention for, for next week. And for me, I don't know about you guys, I might be going full conspiracy theory here, but I think tight hamstring is something you say when um, you're pulling a sickie, um, you're not going into work, I've got a tight hamstring, um, or you yeah, don't want to explain what's happened. So I just question whether something has gone on there, whether Troy's been given a, a week off, uh, or you know, in cricket parlance when you're bowled, told to take a breather, um, whether just something's, whether he sort of, I don't know, I, I don't find, my, my, cousin, my cousin texted me this morning and said, what do you think's going on there? And it got me thinking, I just wonder whether he's been given a back seat for a week. What what, what do you guys think about I, that? Am I, I reading too much into it? people chatting yesterday saying that he, this whole situation in his personal life has really got very toxic. Um, mm. And I mm. think there's a, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to like to talk about people's private lives and supposition and so on, but I do think that there is, a situation in his life which needs attending to. Uh, I think there may be an upcoming uh, sort of case. Okay. So, yeah, probably uh, best to leave, leave it there. So leave yeah, that, I think that... I, I think if that is going on, that is that is a very distracting thing, and you can't have players coming to play Premier League football at the top level if they aren't one hundred percent focused on the job they've got to do. So maybe it was, it was the best thing. Also, it's a very humane thing to do to to someone who's going through something very difficult. If that is in fact the reason, sensible from the club to do it. You've got to look after you know their employees at the end of the day, human beings with, with stuff going on. And I think if that's the case, I think it's it's sensible and another perhaps indication that the the management of Watford are getting things right this season. Because if there are um, off field instances, you wonder under perhaps under Walter Mazzari, for example, would they be quite so un- understand? I, I don't think so. It feels no, I like don't think so. I think we've got better <laughs> options as well. So you can say Agreed. to him, "Look, you can take the week off because actually we've got Isaac and he's looking really, really good in training. He's played a couple of games. We're going to have a go with him and bring Jerry, you know, 
I also think it is worth just taking time just to, to pause and enjoy the prospect of um, of Delefeu and Pereira in Watford shirts on the same same side. As you said, Colin, absolutely mouthwatering as a prospect. And we kind of got used to it as Watford fans, haven't we? Sort of had them in the squad. Pereira, I think he had a lot to prove to me up until the end of, of last season. I felt like he was... I thought he was injury prone and he played like it to a degree. I, I, I felt like we mm. didn't, we never really saw the, the Pereira that we knew was in there. But all of a sudden he's, he's absolutely blom- blossomed into this, this incredible player. And it's kind of like a new signing, isn't it? Just what he gives us on a, on a regular basis now. And then with Delefeu coming in, Decore and Will Hughes in that midfield as well. It is, it's almost an embarrassment of riches, is it? And, and, and I think it's worth taking the time just to sit down and, and savour that. Um, because oh, just magnificent players all over the shop at the moment. Without without a, sh- a shadow of a doubt. I mean, Pereira is just... The thing that excites me about him is that he doesn't seem to have any uh, intention to go elsewhere. He's not playing for Watford thinking, mm, another good season and I'm going to go back to somewhere else. Uh, it looks to me like, if you look at his Instagram account, he seems very, very settled with his kids and his family in Hertfordshire. He's playing like he's enjoying himself in a way that perhaps he hasn't in the past. He's getting uh, a guaranteed spot in the team. He's 27, 28 years old. He's thinking he's getting well paid. He's, he's playing with some very good players. And it looks like he might stay with us for a long time, which is a really exciting prospect. The other thing about his, in, about his injury, John, and I agree with you completely, but it was fascinating talking to someone yesterday in the concourse about Chalabar, about how he's hurt himself again. Um, I don't know whether it was that overhead kick you know, the chest and overhead kick in his two minutes playing for England that, that aggravated it. But what Pereira may have done and been very clever about over the past season and a half was that he knew that the, the knee injury was very uh, profound and was a potential career-ender. He worked his way back, got his rehab right, and then when he started playing again, he was very protective of himself. He didn't mm. go flying into tackles thinking, if I do that, I can aggravate that and that could be another six months out. He did play very defensively in terms of his own body. But as you say with a decent pre-season and he seems to have got confidence in his body now. And, and I have to say, hats off uh, to Pereira because in the second half, he worked unbelievably hard to protect uh, Messina, to get back. Messina came in a bit tight because they were throwing forwards onto the pitch. And so Pereira came back almost like a wing-back in order to, to help him out and to defend. And, to, and he worked incredibly hard and he played the full 90 minutes. Going back, so you know, we talked about the gushing about the the, the partnership that like Delafeu and Pereira, and we've excited about that, and we've sort of seen a game here where it's flourished and it's been uh, made a dominant Watford. Two weeks ago, Colin, uh, you were fairly critical, let's say, of the Deeney Gray partnership, how it hasn't really developed. Uh, and last week on the podcast, when we were outside Wembley before the NFL game, we were discussing just about those sort of options that we have up front, and and maybe Mike, you know. Thinking back to that chat, we were narrow in our thinking. We were thinking two men up front or just the strikers. And yes, they sort of proved that actually we were attacking in more, more than just being dependent on those two players. The weird bit for me, though, which I just want to sort of talk through and just clarify, did it feel like Gray was dropped and put on the bench because he isn't the right man to play that singular role with those you know, a very attacking three behind him? Or was it the fact that he doesn't have that and, and he doesn't have the defensive, you know, grinding out thing that, that success has and Deeney has? 
I think so. I'd, I'd, I'd hesitate to, to put him up front on his own. Um, I think success is a better fit in, in that regard. I think we saw Andre Gray try tried in that role last season and, and it didn't really come off. I think the benefit that we get from, from Andre Gray is the work that he puts in. He pulls defenders all over the place and allows... Uh, space for other, uh, other people to, to to have a chance. I think he a lot of the midfield, the mid goals from midfield last season probably benefited from some of the work that Andre Gray put in uh, up front. Um, but yeah, I, I hesitate to suggest that Andre Gray is the answer if we're going to play one identified, if you like, striker. Um, I'd, yeah, I think we've saw enough to suggest that that was was going to be difficult and. Proof of the pudding yesterday was in the eating, wasn't it? Um, I think Andre Gray has proved his worth to the to the side this season. Uh, I think he's he's going to go on to to be a valuable member of the squad, and um, I think he's already starting to repay that that transfer fee now with with some of the performances earlier on uh, earlier on in the season. So I'm happy with Andre Gray, but also happy that he was he was rested yesterday. I haven't got a problem with that, and I'm sure he won't either. He'll be looking to to capitalize on on his decent start to the the season and and force his way back in. But to answer your question bluntly, is he the answer if we're going to play one striker up top? I'd say no. No, I I totally agree with that. I think if you look at someone like Jermaine Defoe, their career, very like Gray, very quick, quite short, likes to get in behind. If you've got that player, which is kind of what Gray is, he's a kind of half and half because he is quite a big unit, but he's not tall. And the problem is he's playing against centre-backs on the whole who are taller than him, quite a bit taller than him in, in some cases. Isaac Success, on the other hand, is a massive unit. I mean, he's huge. He came over to give his shirt to some kid after the game and you look at his physique, he's absolutely, you know, he's built and... Uh, so he can, he can do the role better on his own because he's got the body strength to hold the ball up, whereas Gray often gets bullied by centre-halves or gets it headed away or you know, he just hasn't got the kind of physical capacity to do that. If you want to play Gray on, on his own, then you have to play him a different way I mean, because you're going to have to slip him in. That that's, will be your tactic, like with Vardy. You know, I was thinking about Leicester because they played the same team pretty much the whole season and won the league. And you think, how on earth did they do that? Because why didn't teams find them out? But that's because they played in a very, very distinct way. They played very deep, and as soon as they got the ball, they pinged it and had the fastest player in the Premier League to get on the end of it and score. And he had a, you know, he had a wonderful career season. But you can't. I don't think that that's going to suit us. And I think that if we play one up, which I think we're going to do more and more, because those three players have got to play if they're fit, Hughes, Delafeo, and Pereira. Then you've got to play one up, and that will probably be Deeney or success. And then Gray will be used off the bench as he was yesterday. He was very effective. In the Yeah, other players that sort of been, you know, it's, it's weird that we, we talk about the, the you know, because we won the game, scored two goals, we talk about the attack, where the changes were. And the man of the match sort of coming through from from many, many places um, was uh, Etienne Capoue, uh, particularly uh, Simon uh, Holland, who said, uh, is Capoue on drugs? Because, you know, he is a, he, we've talked about how different, much of a different player he is. Um, to to this uh, this team compared to his previous years, I can't think it was Kevin Affleck might have said you know he, he's putting in player of the season performances. Mike, is he putting in player of the season performances in, in your eyes? I think he's been absolutely reborn under Javi Gracia, hasn't he? I think he's long term listeners to the podcast will know only too well my feelings on on Etienne Capoue, and I I still say this to this day on his on his day he's one of the best 
midfielders in the entire Premier League. When he's when he's on it, he's he's incredible. He he seems to be absolutely everywhere. He's popping up, pinging balls left, right, and centre. He's a threat going forward. He works hard defensively. He's creative. He makes it look easy when he's when he's on form, and and I think that's what he's doing more often than not at the moment. The problem we know with Etienne Capu is that consistency. I think there is a a tendency for for his for his shoulders to slump when things aren't going well in a game, and I think form as, as in a in a wider context gets gets him down as well. I think he finds it hard to to shake out of a slump if he's if him or the team are performing badly over a, over a period of time. So that's what he needs to work on, I think. And probably that, that applies to the squad as a whole, doesn't it? We've found it very hard to shake, it, shake out of a funk when we've, when we've had a bad run of results. But can he go on to be player of the season? I'd love Etienne Capu to be player of the season. Because um, I think if he plays well all season, Watford play all well, well all season. And it could be incredibly exciting. I, he, he is a fabulous, fabulous player when he's on his game. When he's not, to be perfectly frank, he's next to useless. We've seen that, haven't we, recently? Because in the, the Bournemouth game, I thought he, was, he really had a poor performance in that game. The thing about Etienne Capoue, which and I agree with Mike one, wholeheartedly, it, but the thing about him is he's not a leader. Mm. He's a central midfielder, but he's not a leader in that team because of his, uh, his psychological fragility, if you like. He can occasionally just go, oh, I, I don't know what's going on, I can't. So he doesn't have that kind of that drive in his in his guts which go oh, we I'm going to lead this team to to win as a central midfielder he doesn't have that what yeah. he does have is an unbelievable ability and yesterday he was he was terrific but I have to say if if I was to pick man of the match yesterday I would pick Decore and if you look at the, his stats yesterday they're off the scale his number of passes his number of pass completions the way he recycles the ball the way he fights for the ball and then yes Capu is is has is playing Probably the best with, with the under Javi. He's definitely playing better than he's played uh, ever before for us, and maybe ever. Um, but I still look to Decore to be the kind of central midfield dynamo slash leader who wins the ball and has that real competitive edge. Whereas with Capu, you think, what is it going to be today, Etienne? Are you going to be an eight or a five? Mm. And against Bournemouth, he was a five, and yesterday he was an eight. And if he can iron that out. And, and really get his maybe it's a confidence thing. I don't know what, what, what I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that his personality is not one of he's not a strong leader in the side. But what he can do, what his his ability means that he can really affect the result, and he did that yesterday. Colin, the other one uh, that change uh, another fourth change were two of the players in in defence. We've already talked about Messina, um, uh, but also Maps came in uh, instead of Cabaselli. Um Did that feel like? You know, we, we didn't miss a beat. Didn't miss a beat. Like coming home. I mean, we are so lucky to have Mariapa in our squad and happy to be a squad player, knowing really that he's not a first-choice centre-back, but that it, over the period of a season, players get suspended or injured and he knows he's going to be used and he comes in and it's seamless. Those of you that were lucky enough to read the uh, expert view in yesterday's... I read that, uh, Mike. I was, I, I, I was very program. We'll, have, we'll know my views on it. And I think this break came at exactly the right time for, for Christian Cabaselli. I think he is a great defender. I'm glad to have him at the squad. But if you look at his last... Is it the last yeah. three games for Watford? He could potentially have given away three penalties in three yeah, games. Exactly. Sent off in two of them. OK, one of them was was rescinded. But he, he, he hasn't covered himself in glory. And I think he... Of the, of the defensive unit, which I think all of them still do have a blunder in them... He, if you look back over the over the past couple of years, he's probably the one 
who finds himself bent out of shape more often than not. I, th- I think he's a great footballer, don't get me wrong, and he probably would be my first choice centre-back. Um, but th- the break came at a very, very good time for him. He'd had a, he'd had a tough trot. And, and Mariapa coming in, you know, Mr. De- dependable, isn't it? He's not, he, he doesn't, doesn't do anything that he doesn't need to do. So him and Cathcart are very similar in that, that respect. They quietly roll their sleeves up, no nonsense, get the job done keep it tight at the back and let the rest of these wonderful players get on with, with doing what they do. So The thing about Maps, which I think is impressive over and over again, is his, is his courage. And, you know, yeah, if you play centre-back yeah. in the Premier League, you need to be brave. And he is unbelievably brave. He will literally throw himself in front of a train yeah. to stop a goal being scored. And you need that. And that inspires everybody on the pitch. They go, look what he's doing. He wants to win that much. Let's do that. And, and I thought that that was evident in, in a lot of players yesterday. I, th- I thought the celebration after Pereira's goal was, was extraordinary. It was like they all went a bit mental. They got very giddy. And that's, that's because they really want to win. You know? So, so when, when you see Maps flying into, into blocks, and you know, then that, that, you, know, you know that he's, he's really very committed. And he, he, yeah, it, was a, it was a seamless situation. And then you have, you have Messina, who we haven't seen much of. And he hasn't got the kind of up-and-atom... Let me get up there to cross the ball and get the assist that Holobas has. Uh, but what he has got is is a really good positional sense, and he's and he's a big, strong lad, and he's also really quick. So I mean, he came in, and that seems you know again that's the depth of our squad. We've got a, a player who was brought up at Barcelona, who's played for Espanyol, who's coming to our side at 24 years old, and you think, wow, you know, we've come a long way to have players like that on the bench. Is this some of the, the magic of, of Javi, do you think, guys, that, you know, previously when we've had to make changes or the squad players have come in, perhaps it hasn't really worked out. But these guys are coming in with pretty limited football this this season. You know, Messina, let's take Messina as a, a case in point, but comes in and is, to, to use your phrase, Colin, it's a seamless introduction into, into the cut and thrust of, of Premier League football, which is... Yes, a mark of the player, as you said, he's got he's got great pedigree, but also a mark of what's going on behind the scenes and how how have he's managing this this squad to make sure that when they do come in, they're ready to to take their chance to perform well and, and stake a claim for the shirt. I think this is this is what's really really exciting for me that I I don't real really feel like we've had before. I don't feel like we felt brittle before, not in terms of talent, but in terms of application. And it feels like those are guys that are waiting in the wings now, are primed and ready to step in, determined to do the best for themselves and determined to do the best for, for Watford. And I, th- I think perhaps a lot of credit has to go to, to Gracio and his, and his team. The thing for me with that is the fact that Javi was the man uh, last year and this year and over the summer when the new players like Messina came in, he, they weren't coming into a brand new system that everybody was sort of figuring out and and, and an attitude and, and figuring that out. So they were able to they were being integrated rather than uh, just part of a, a huge mix. But the fact that that Harry also was quite brave in some ways to completely change the eleven for the two League Cup games means that they've played you know a good set of football, not just substitute appearances. They've played a lot of football, um, and that's why they. You know, he is he's ready, um, and he's been to integrate and experience what Harry wants. Um, so his his first appearance uh, in the Premier League is is much much uh, not much nicer. So Harry just always again just seems positive, and there's nothing you know better for getting people um, to do whatever job that you do um, better is by being in a a positive 
a positive place. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think the the main thing is that well, the two things. Firstly, the players really seem to want to play for him and and believe in him as their coach. And the reason for that is they won five games out of nine, which we've never done before in the Premier League. The professional sportsmen are incredibly competitive. They live and breathe winning. That's all they that's all they think about. They want to win. And in the, in a team sport, it's more complicated. Obviously, you've got a kind of collective mind there of you know 11 15 16 players and so you've got to make that work but um but also the the other thing that you can really notice you really noticed it yesterday was just they've been drilled they've been that team has been drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled because their positional shape on the pitch with the ball without the ball it was it was pitch perfect and you don't get that unless you drill and drill and drill. And I remember when we, we all went to Tales from the Vicarage and were talking about how uh, GT used to make them do drills without the ball. You know, where they'd, they'd have to play a sort of shadow ball where they'd have to cross it. And it'd be like, when do you cross it? You cross it now. And where are you now? Why are you not here when you should be here and all this? And it's, it's starting to look very like that. I think it's all about the detail with Javi. He doesn't seem mm. to have much ego. As you say, he's very positive. All his press conferences, even when we lose, well, we've learned a lot from this. Da da da. You know, no, no moaning, no complaining, no talking about the refs, um, and his his attention to de- and it, it, what that allows him is it allows him to just go onto the training ground. He's looked at the videos. He knows how he wants to play against Wolves, and he just drills them for a week and goes, "That's how they're going to do it." So do that, and the players. They believe in him because they've won a lot of football matches already under him. And they think, let's just do what he says because it seems to be working. <laughs> and that, that kind of relationship between a team, which is a team of a lot of people and one person as a coach. OK, he's got his assistants, but basically he's the leader. That's, that is, a you know, as we know, and we see it in Premier League teams, when that relationship starts to break down, you know, the old uh, he's lost the dressing room syndrome, then teams stop winning and they start losing. And then it gets worse and worse and worse, and they either get relegated or they get shot of the coach. And in, in the, the, we're on the other side of that coin, where we've got a very unified group. We've got a manager who isn't a bully. He's not irascible. He's a positive man who thinks very clearly about football, and he's very good tactically and sets them up right. But he makes them work hard. I mean, Foster on was interviewed on the radio. He said, "Oh, they, we, some, some mornings we come out and we see they put these specific cones out, and everyone goes, oh God.' And they have, a, you know, they have a beasting." Because the other thing about this squad is it's the fittest they it's the fittest Watford squad I've seen. They are incredibly fit, and they can go right to the end as they did yesterday. And that hasn't always been the case. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. There's a, there's a thing about when the international teams and who's being put, called uh, called up by their their country that that I, I love when Watford players get picked, but I also hate when Watford players get picked because you know <laughs> they're they're not getting the rest. Uh, that they needed. Um, it was it was fantastic, sort of a, a, a time. We you know um, Cathcart and and Prudel played in in their national sides. We saw um, another worldy goal uh, from Queener um, when he played for uh, the Portugal uh, under twenty ones. Um, he was wearing green, so maybe that's a thing we have to do is, is keep that green a wee kit for him. Uh, we, we've already talked about Roberto. Uh, and how you know he can do it on a very hot night in Iraq, uh, as well as a moderately warm uh, afternoon in Wolverhampton. But th- that, that's a really positive thing for him. You know, we we talked about what he's done for Watford uh, and he, him staying fit. But actually, it, it, you know, his motivation at Watford must be greater because he knows he's getting seen and he knows he's getting a pick for his his national team. Um, but then, of course, the, the the biggest news in some ways, as you know, when Wilmot Ben Wilmot got. Got uh, played for the uh, the under twenties for, for England. 
Yeah, you see, now that is an interesting thing, John, because he went to the English under-20s as a training player, which means that you're basically just there to make up a 22 so you can play, you know, you can play games and you can, you've got your 11 or your 14 that you think you're going to play at the England under-20s, and then you've got these other lads who you brought into the fold because you think they're, they're good enough, but they're basically like sparring partners. What happens? He goes, he trains with the under-20s, and the coach goes, oh, you're quite good. You're in. You're in the team. Now, that's a massive jump. You went there as a sparring partner and you ended up and getting that, in the fight. And I think that that, that, is, that shows the quality of that boy. And, he, and, and we haven't mentioned it, but of course yeah. he got his debut yesterday because of Prodal's injury. So it was brilliant to see him come on and uh, I'm a massive fan of his already. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the games he played for us in the, in the League Cup, plus that, you know, that sort of booster, let's say, he got for the England under-20s just meant he walked on that pitch surely far more confident and not being one of those young lads who's been thrown on to play a game in the Premier League and, you know, a little bit hesitant. The other uh, really cool uh, thing that happened over the international break was Nathaniel Chalabar uh, got to play uh, for the full, proper, growing-up England side uh, and got a few minutes at the end of the game against Spain. Uh, came on, um, apparently he's played more minutes for England than he has for Watford in the, in the Premier League. Um, but it was it was a lovely thing. Um, unfortunately, though, uh, Mike, he would then got re-injured uh, somewhere along the, the few days between Monday and, and yesterday, uh, so it wasn't in the Watford squad again. No, disappointing. Let's start with the with the positive. As you say, he came on um, for for England, and what I loved about that not just he was a he's a Watford player, so representing our, our club uh, in the international spotlight, but the fact that it obviously meant so much to him. I think Chalabar's a guy who kind of wears his his heart on his sleeve a little bit. You can see how much he enjoys his profession. You can see how much he enjoys playing for Watford when he's fit, and just to see you could. The pri- you knew the pride he would have felt coming on for those those couple of minutes. I think someone questioned whether it would have been better for him to to have a debut and he gets gets a bit a bigger part to play. But you're playing for England. It doesn't matter if it's thirty seconds, um, thirty minutes, or, or for thirty matches. It is an extraordinary achievement. And and to see just to I, I was really proud of him and really happy for him because that's um, it's a massive achievement. So well done to Chalabar, um, well deserved. But yeah, the the bit the big worry now is that he he didn't travel to to Wolves at the, at the weekend and I think the the phrase I heard was as um an, an aggravation of the knee injury that that he'd suffered before now that injury was was a bad one wasn't it because it kept him out for 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 a long time and if if it's anything to do with that then the consequences could be um could be pretty dire I think we need to hang on and uh, and wait and see what the news coming out of the club is uh, as to the severity of it but it's been tricky for, for Nate hasn't it he, he had the injury he came back at, at Man United for, for a couple of minutes the last game of the season he had a, a few minutes and we were all delighted to see him he was obviously buzzing he he loved the, the reception he got and I think there was a few tweets after saying how, how good he was then he went away with the England squad didn't he for, for training ahead of, ahead of the World Cup um, and we didn't see him again. He 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 broke down again during during pre season and has had to fight his way back. Um, and now again, after seemingly getting into getting back into contention on a on a on a fairly regular basis, he's injured again. So it's a real up and down, um, real up and down couple of months for him, isn't it? And and going back to his his, his clear passion and pride and, and enjoyment of football, I do wonder how bigger. Um, how big an impact this might have on him because he's going from the highs of coming back from injury, the highs of training with England, the, tr- the highs of playing with, with England, to then 
being injured again and potentially facing a long spell out. So I really, really hope that it's not a doesn't have a massive negative impact on his not just his short term career and, and and the next couple of months because we're going to need all our squad players um, as Watford progress through the season, but also in the long term, he's an extraordinarily talented player. Um, and with an, an incredible international career ahead of him, I'm almost certain that that if he stays fit, he'll be a he'll be a starter for England for the next you know six, seven, eight years. Um, I think he he's he's that good. But there's there's a recurring theme, isn't it? And it's and it's these injuries, and we just really must hope that he gets through this. He's back in the England team quickly and can can stay fit short term and long term. A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the Rookery End. We go next back to Vicarage Road uh, for uh, a home tie against Uddersfield Town. Um, this is where we, we, we start getting into to sticky places again because we've just brilliantly won away at Wolves, Colin. Um, now we're playing Huddersfield. We're down at the bottom of the league. Are we going to get a silly... Too much positivity about this about this game, or, or, or should we be ultimately positive? You know what I think. You know what I think, John. Last season we kickstarted about seven seven teams this seasons. We lost to Swansea, we lost to Palace, we lost to Stoke, Huddersfield, we Brighton. We, you know, I, my feeling is, and I really don't want to see that again. I really don't want to see that again. I think the lesson that we learned in the Bournemouth game will hold for a few weeks. I really do, and I think a team that's only scored four goals. Um, and uh, is a very kind of meat and potatoes sort of squad, isn't it? It's, it there's not a lot of flair. There's quite a good organisation, uh, and I, I don't want to jinx it or anything. But I, I think you know the way we played yesterday, the way we can play. We are a, we are a, we have superior players, and that means we should take advantage of that, and we should we should do everything we can to win the game. If our heads are on right and our attitude is right, then we win that game. But if we do something. If we believe in ourselves too much, or we get uh, complacent, or uh, you know, then then we, you know, obviously you can you can lose any game you play in the Premier League. But I, I would I would feel pretty confident going into that game. I mean, I'm you know I'm never that confident when Watford play anybody, but uh, because I think well, I've seen so many poor performances and defeats and so on, including the one two weeks ago against Bournemouth. But I, I do think after yesterday, hopefully. That lesson that we learned at Bournemouth will hold for for a bit longer. What I think this season needs to be is us ticking off those past failings, and I think we're showing sign of ticking a few of those off. One of which we talked about earlier: the squad coming in and not letting our heads go down when we we hit a bad run of form. We responded terrifically yesterday. A big thing I think we need to tick off, and Colin mentioned it: kickstarting other team seasons, letting them come and 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 win. You know, Huddersfield absolutely walloped us at home last year. No disrespect, to, no, no, no disrespect to, to Huddersfield. That that shouldn't be happening. Stoke did us at home for two years in a row, and before all of these games, we say we know what's going to happen. We know the challenges we're going to face. We know how Watford need to perform to get something out of it. Because yeah, they're at the bottom of the league. They're not scoring goals, but they're a Premier League football side with a canny manager who are capable of, of winning football games. I am absolutely sick to the hide teeth of these home performances. Um, when we when we get our, our, we, we get turned over by clubs that we should be beating, and I know that sounds arrogant, especially as a Watford fan, but we should be beating them. These squads, our squad is better than theirs. End of end of discussion. But time and time again, we turn in tepid performances in these sort of games, and I do wonder whether 
you know, the crowd's a little bit quieter because it's not in, you know, in inverted commas, a, a big game, whatever. It can't happen anymore. And I think, again, we talked about Javi and his attention to detail. He won't be, he won't be approaching this game any different. Um, so I hope the players don't. And if we can win on Saturday, I think we've ticked off something brilliant yesterday uh, against Wolves. We've bounced back in spectacular fashion. Now let's get back to the, to the real bread and butter and pick up three points there. Because then we've got Newcastle away and then we've got Southampton. I totally agree with that. The other thing we've ticked off failings-wise is that we've played four away games. We've won two and drawn one. And last season, under Javi, uh, we got the draw at Stoke. And I don't think we scored a goal again. I think we got one goal against City, but we lost every single game that yeah. we played away from home. Is that right? I think it that's is, right. Yeah. So, so that is something that has, he's dealt with. He's worked out how he can get his team to play away from home and pick up points. But when we look back to last season and the games against Everton and West Brom, both of which we won 1-0, there, there's a, there was a kind of obduracy about us and we weren't going to lose those games. And as I say, hopefully um, the Bournemouth lesson that we've learned will hold and we'll get back to, even if we have to grind out a 1-0 win against Huddersfield, I don't care, no. we need the three points. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I'm more than happy with a, with a scrappy 1-0 win. Let's not let the opposition out-scrap us and, and out-beat us. Winnable games, We, if we want to get better, if we want this season to pan out as we think it could and maybe should, these are the games that we need to perform well in. So I'm excited by it um, and I think it's another it's another big test for us. It's another opportunity for us to, to see how the class of 2018-19 is, uh, is going to perform. So uh, come on boys, don't let us down. And we shall see what they can do next Saturday at three o'clock at Vicarage Road where Watford's Premier League season will continue. Does that sound dramatic enough? Anyway, thank you much for, uh, for listening. Thank you to Mike. Thank you to Colin. Uh, and uh, remember, you can uh, follow us on social media at Watford Podcast, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, and, uh, and do get in touch with any questions and anything that you sort of want to uh, talk to us about and contribute to uh, the podcast. It would be fantastic to hear from you. Before we go, John, can I do a bit of some shameless self-promotion? Mm. So Monday night, if you're listening to this before Monday night, six till eight, I'll be on TalkSport 2. So you can hear some, some Watfordy stuff there, no doubt, because I do my best to shoehorn um, Watford stuff into virtually every aspect of my life, really. So um, <laughs> so I'll be on TalkSport 2 on, uh, on Monday night, six till eight. And if you're outside the, the UK, I know there's a, a fair few of you listening um, from away from these shores, um, I'll be on Premier League today on Wednesday which is, um, I'm assured, a big show outside the uh, UK. I think it's shown in virtually every country uh, apart from yeah, here. That's right. um, and that's on, on uh, Wednesday afternoon, 24th of October. So that's a Watford special. Um, so I think there's quite a few, um, lots of Watford content. They've got interviews with Javi, with Troy, Decore, Will Hughes and Ben Foster. And I'll be on it. And I'll be on it as well. So um, if you are outside um, of of the British Isles, tune in on on Wednesday to Premier League today. Thanks, John. Sorry about that. That's okay, Mike. But we clearly know you've got uh, space in your diary on Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. (laughs) Thank you very much. And uh, come on, you on!